I'm John. I'm Paul. I'm George. And I play the drums. From Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette. And Chachi's co-host, Beatles instructor at Suffolk University, David Galan. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Get Back to the Beatles. My name is Chachi LaPrette, your host for the next uh, half hour to an hour. We have a great guest. I'm here with my famous co-host, the Beatles professor at Suffolk University. He's been teaching the Beatles class for 15, 20, 30 years. I don't know. He'll answer that question. He's been doing it a long time. Professor Gallant, good to see you. Good to see you, Chachi. It's been a while since we've been engaging in one of these podcasts. It seems like time has flown and time has also not, it has stood still during these days. So yes, I've been teaching the class a little over a decade, just about 15 years. And um, uh, always excited when we have others in the Beatles community who are going to engage us in this continuing exploration. Yes, and we have a great guest today, David, uh, from halfway around the world, and apparently it's very early where he is compared to where we are today, and he's the author of several books. His newest book is called To Know John Lennon, An Intimate Portrait, sorry, To Know John Lennon, An Intimate Portrait from His Friends, Colleagues, and Family. I want to get the title correct. It's uh, on Political Animal Press, available on Amazon, wherever fine books are sold. And I got to tell you, this guy is very impressive. His resume is fantastic with a focus on music and politics. And he's done storytelling in film. And he's won the Victorian College of the Arts Best Achievement in Direction, amongst other awards and honors. His films include Me and the Devil Blues about Robert Johnson, the blues legend a 60s rock politics documentary called The Venue for the End of the World, Me, Myself, and iPod. He's released non-music documentaries as well, and we're happy he's with us today. He's wearing his author's hat today, and he's written the book (laughs) Our Jimmy about Jimi Hendrix, Woodstock at 50, Anatomy of a Revolution. I've come to know this gentleman during the COVID period of time, and uh, that's brought many people together on the internet and I've gone, I come to know Aiden Pruitt very well. And good morning, Aiden. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Chachi. Good morning, David. It's a real pleasure and an honor to be on one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, well, listen, you, uh, we're honored to have you here. It's 7 a.m. in Australia. It's like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock where we are in the Boston area. And we appreciate you being with us today. And uh, you chose John Lennon for your latest book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, You interviewed so many people who knew John Lennon, and they tell you stories about that interaction with John. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I mean, that was the point of doing the book was just so that I could meet people who knew John. (laughs) I've been a (laughs) Beatles fan since, you know, I was 14 years old. I've just gone through my life wondering, you know, making other music films and books and things and doing stuff. But I've always had questions for people who were at Woodstock and things like that. You know, did you ever encounter John? And surprisingly, there, there were a number of people who were involved in Woodstock who did cross paths, or maybe not surprisingly, that would cross paths with John along the way. And that sort of got the ball rolling for this book and thinking, okay, well, what if I got to the people who really knew John, people like Julia Baird, who Chachi, you and I had the pleasure just a few months ago of chatting with Julia, who obviously, you know, is, is John's half-sister and grew up with him and alongside him as being six years younger than he was. And some of the beautiful stories that she told about them growing up together, which she was very gracious to, to allow me to, to put those in the book. Yeah, I've just had this wonderful honor <laughs> to, to have this sort of excuse to, to call people up and say, hey, can you tell me all your best John stories? I'm going to put them in a book. And people really were so, you know, just lovely, which speaks to John's character, I think, which is that these are the people who John surrounded himself with. 
and they're happy to to just chat to this guy who rings up and says, "Hey, you know, can we talk about John Lennon for a little bit?" And they, they, invariably, everybody was so kind and giving. Did you have an abundance of of people to interview? So much so, where you had to draw the line and say okay, you're not going to be in it, but this person will be. Did you have more than enough material for this book? Unfortunately and and fortunately, yes. I had to, there were some people who did not make the cut, so to speak. We didn't want the book to be 700 pages, so we had to, to draw the line. And I think that, I mean, the thing is, the book has all of the best stories. And that was the criteria. Is this story good enough to compete, you know, alongside the stories that Julia Baird was telling? that Elliot Mintz was telling, that Rod Davis was telling, that Tony Bramwell was telling. I mean, these people who were there for so much of of particular periods of John's life, the people like Tony Bramwell who were there for the entire the entirety of the Beatles years and a little bit before. And then when the Beatles sort of finished up, Tony dropped out of the picture a little bit. But his knowledge of the inner workings of how the Beatles empire and the Brian Epstein world is unparalleled. I've never come across anybody who has been that deeply involved with Beatles stuff for, for the entirety of the, of the Beatles recording history. Well, Professor, I'll let you go next but after this first question. I mean, most of these interactions are pretty heavy interactions with John but I loved in the very beginning of your book, it was a simple interaction between a beetle boot and a candy bar. I mean, I think that's probably the, <laughs> the shortest interaction that you put in with John. And I think it's so cool. And if you can tell that story, it's a friend of yours. Yeah. Well, this really, this spoke to my heart and said, you know, John Lennon at his core was kind. So this story is is a friend of mine who was here in Melbourne for the Beatles 1964 concert that they did. Actually, they did six concerts here in Melbourne over the space of three days, but he was there for the first one of these. And it was his 10th birthday. His name is Michael Pittard. It was his 10th birthday. And his aunt who worked at the radio station got him uh, and the family tickets for the front row of the Beatles first concert in Melbourne. Unimaginable. Anyway, there he is for his 10th birthday. He's in the front row. He loves the Beatles. He's like, he's really into it. He knows all the songs. It's fantastic. But what really caught his eye was the fact that all the Beatles fan club members are throwing like jelly beans and other like sweets at the stage. And the one that landed near him wasn't a jelly bean. It was an actual bar of chocolate. He could see the silver tinfoil glinting in the stage lights. And that for that moment took his attention away from the Beatles. And he started to reach out on tippy toes toward this bar of chocolate uh, and he couldn't quite reach and he's just stretching and stretching. He's like, Oh, I can almost make it. And then suddenly the chocolate bar starts to slide toward him. And then he, he, he magically just is able to pick it up. And then he realizes it's being slid along by the pointed toe of a beetle boot. And then he looks up into the stage lights and, and he sees like there's a gray pant leg. And then he looks up a bit further and he sees this Rickenbacker guitar and he looks up a little bit further and uh, it's John and he's pushed the, the chocolate bar into Michael's grip. And then he gives him a wink and, and carries on with the song. But uh, just that tiniest little in, uh, interaction that I put in the introduction of the book 
like when Michael told me that, I just like my heart melted. I, I went, this is, you know, you often hear about John's acerbic nature with journalists, etc. But I didn't get any of that from the people who really knew him. They all spoke of John as being the epitome of that is that here's this 10 year old kid and John just sees an opportunity to help and he helps. So where's the chocolate pod? Did he eat it? Did he save it? It would be worth so much today. A chocolate pod touched by a boot. A Absolutely. Boot. Oh, he no, ate he it, wolfed it He He wolfed it down <laughs> mid-song, of course. Okay, that, that's a great story. It is a poignant little story. Just a little a little bit of a, a glimpse into, into John Lennon's kindness. Professor, go ahead, my friend. Well, you know, one thing that I really enjoyed about Aiden's text, and I don't know whether he wants to hear this type of, I hope it's not just empty praise, but as much as his interview subjects shed any more light than could be about John Lennon's life and, and things like that, is really the interviewer's craft is that he got his subjects to reveal themselves. So I was very fascinated to learn a lot about not just what these folks did in relation to John Lennon, but how it also revealed other parts of them. And that's really due to the questions that, that Aiden asked. And I always, you know, I want my students not, not to come up with answers, but to come up with better questions, especially through writing and, so, and some of the, the, the rituals or the practices or the, the way that they can improve their writing or to, to use it in many different forms whether it's interviewing someone. And that's a form of writing, crafting interview questions, which I don't think gets enough prominence in, in writing instruction and things like that. And maybe could even reflect in his own education where maybe there wasn't, unless, unless his course was in journalism, where there wasn't always <laughs> a lot of emphasis on crafting good questions. And so it's really the art of the interviewer. And in reading To Know John Lennon, I couldn't help but think of the other sort of great oral history text that I from years and years ago, if Aiden's familiar with the text, Please Kill Me by uh, Legs McNeil and Gillian McLean, which is an oral history of punk. And basically, it's a lot of those practitioners at the time reflecting on their lives during, uh, during punk. And it's, and it, it, but it, it lacks sort of a, a narrative structure that Aiden gives us. So I really appreciated that. Plus, why I think this could even be uh, parts of it, at least uh, an interesting text for students, learning about the Beatles or John Lennon in particular is, uh, as you know, Chachi, Aiden does a great job of setting up the interview subject and then reviewing it afterwards, right? So that's what I really appreciate, especially how they revealed themselves. Elliot Mintz, I just, you know, that, that, that interview, the first one, now there are a couple in the text, right? But the first one, or maybe it's the second one, it really revealed a lot about him, about his what I would consider his kind of off the mark interpretation of the song God. And when he was talking to John about it, I thought, well, you know what, you know, don't tell John what he should be, you know, Oh no, you do believe you believe in Elvis and say, well, he kind of missed the point of the song. So it reveals a lot about the interview subject as much it was as it was revealing things about Lennon. But I think, you know, Aiden would agree as many of his subjects will say over and over again, that memory and history are very tricky things, <laughs> the interplay, right? And what stake do we have answering your questions, the, the expert interviewer? What stake do we have answering them in particular ways, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think part of the fun of putting the book together was to allow all the, inter all, all the interviewees to just sort of go with it. 
and say what they wanted to say. And then I had the power as editor to select all the most interesting parts. And then I, I had to go and triangulate and make sure that facts were sort of on point and making sure that if there was something that that struck me as being like, oh, I should double check that that little tidbit and make sure that it's accurate. And that was another criteria for whether or not it, it got in. But yeah, my training is, is in filmmaking. And so documentary, all the classes I did in documentary back in the day, there was a strong emphasis on asking, asking questions that allowed, yeah, revelation of some kind for the guests to reveal of themselves, to, you know, not feel as though they should hold anything back and, and just sort of riff and go for it and see what comes out. Because you can always edit. What's, what's joyful about that, because there's such a, a multitude of voices in your text, is that they're not always concluding the same thing. There are conflicts, there are contradictions, and I think that's what makes it very interesting. I mean, there's not going to be one definitive answer. Even our what the anthology series in the book taught us is that even the four of them themselves could have absolutely <laughs> distinct different <laughs> recollections about the same moment in time. And, you know, that's part of human nature and the way the brain works. So I found that exciting about the text, even when, you know, Julia Baird is brought in as this backbone that begins as a, a center in the text and then the end of the text, though there, you know, there's the uh, I guess one figure that is always looming in the background in John's life are the voices that you always sort of bring back and ask someone along the way, no matter who it might be. Tell me what you thought of Mimi. And I thought that was kind of neat. That yeah. there's, there's always this, this constant, <laughs> tell me what you thought of Mimi. Tell me what you thought of Mimi. And, you know, I thought after a while not to go down a, a Mimi track, but she's such an important figure, you know, yeah. both real and imagined in John's life. That in a, a little bit for some of the recollections, she kind of suffered, kind of like uh, Paul McCartney suffered in Philip Norman's shout, his, yeah. his reputation suffered. I thought Mimi suffered a little bit and then and then is revealed as something uh, very different by the end. So I think that just the, the variety of voices, but how they're not always concluding the same thing is uh, just a great way to read sort of Lennon's multifacetedness. Yeah, it gives, I, I wanted to let the reader, you know, make up their own mind about certain things and and if there were conflicting stories along the way that makes it more interesting right and i i think you know it's as a reader myself i feel like oh yeah i'm allowed to you know think about this i don't have to just go along with what this person is saying necessarily so yeah the, there was heaps and heaps of fun for me <laughs> hearing this stuff and then sort of hanging up the phone after an interview and going oh my goodness, I just spoke to John Lennon's sister or, oh my goodness, you know, Elliot Mintz just, you know, he tells this amazing story of of Yoko and, and John dancing in the moonlight coming through the, the windows of the Dakota and Elliot's just kind of standing in the corner and John's like, hey, snap some Polaroids. Just wow. like little, amazing little things like that. Well, the but, great surprises in the text, Aiden. I mean, there are people that Chachi and I know that that a lot of our listeners know because they have written texts, you know, I mean, with Rod Davis, I had met briefly once via Chachi and Ivor and Leslie Cavendish. And then there are the folks whose job or whose profession does not depend on them talking about John Lennon to interviewers such as yourself. And to, to hear that was fantastic. Like Dick Cavett doesn't have to talk about John yeah. Lennon all the time. So, and I thought that was really neat. Absolutely. Dick, I've, I've interviewed Dick before for a different project, more about his own experience of, of, you know, being a, a large voice in sort of the media. So that was a connection that I've formed about 
nine years ago that I was able to sort of go back in and say, hey, you know, you knew John Lennon. <laughs> do you want to have a quick chat? And, and he was like, absolutely, let's do it. Yeah. Yes. You know, one of the um, interesting stories, you know, and the, the people you interview in the book have met or been with John in different periods of his life. But there was one gentleman who was friends with Yoko early in 64. And he's an interesting guy, uh, Dan Richter. So he started his relationship with John and Yoko with Yoko in 64. Yeah. And that kind of built some trust where they rendezvoused back a bunch of years later. And he was a part of John and Yoko's life for a while and was even offered a lifetime position. And he refused. Is that correct, Aiden? So tell me about Dan Richter. Absolutely. Well, Dan is a, a wonderful character. He studied the No Theater in Japan, which is where he met Yoko in 64. So he's an American guy, but he was in Japan because he's a, a mime artist uh, by trade, which eventually led to him getting hired by Stanley Kubrick to play the lead ape character in 2001, A Space Odyssey, which, which is like, what? Yeah. Uh, so uh, he moved in across the hall from Yoko in 66 in London. And then of course, like every, every day, basically there was a Rolls Royce pack parked out the front and, and he was like, Oh, John's here today. So the, <laughs> they lived across the hall from each other for about 18 months. And then when John and Yoko bought Tittenhurst Park, they invited Dan and Dan's family to, to move into one of the secondary prop like houses on the property. So Dan, sort of became the de facto gatekeeper for, for John and Yoko. And he would sort of get up in the morning and grab their mail and take it up to them and, and sort of give them the rundown of the schedule of the day and, and everything else, including like soldering together the mixing board so that they could do Imagine in, in the basement studio. So all kinds of like, he was just, he was there for their lives, for the entirety of their lives during the Tittenhurst period which I was just like fascinated to hear about. So I, I spoke with Dan, I've spoken to Dan several times now and I will be speaking to him again because I will be working on a Kubrick book at some point in future as well. But Dan just basically ended up getting burnt out as, as often you hear people do who are like sort of get sort of sucked into this world. Dan described it as the fame uh, on that level is this gigantic baby that can never be fed enough. And there was a, a moment when they were in Mallorca for a very fascinating reason, but I won't go into it, but they were in Mallorca and somebody spotted them at the airport and Dan sort of got between them and said, no, no, this is Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I'm Dan. How can I help you? And, and the person was like, no, come with me. We have a private space for you. So it was okay. It wasn't, they weren't swamped by fans, but it was that kind of thing that ended up being Dan's job that he eventually decided, no, he, you know, he needed his own life. I mean, do you and, suppose you lose your own life when you're, you're yeah. in charge of someone else's life to that degree? Certainly. And yeah. I mean, as fascinating as that period was, yeah, it ended up being like, because Dan was never interested in, and that was part of the appeal for John Yoko. Dan was not interested in their celebrity or their music, really. He was an old school kind of guy who would rather listen to Cole Porter. And, and so he was not phased by any of it, which, uh, yeah, that obviously was that and that he was fun to hang out with was why John and Yoko were, were like, cool, we're going to grab you. You're going to be our guy. And, and it worked for, for, for many years. Wow. Professor? Yeah, no, I, I thought that he was a very interesting character. And at some point, you know, just wanting to get back to being a mime. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, uh, and, uh, 
I, you know, I, enough of this, the star making machine, the baby that can never be satisfied or fed. I want to be a mime again. And, you know, the art of silence, you know, making saying, speaking volumes through not saying anything at all. So I did think that was kind of interesting that he first became involved with this at all because, oh my God, you know, uh, Brian Epstein running the Saville Theater, he's got Marcel Marceau there, right? The God of Mine. <laughs> and I thought that was a real interesting way in. That's how he gets into the Beatles circle? Okay, yeah. Well, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed that part of the book. But Aiden, do you think if COVID didn't come along, would you have still come to doing a book like this? Or was it because of COVID that you decided, hey, this, you know, let's do a book about John Lennon? I started the book in 2019. And so okay. I'd actually completed 90% of the interviews by March. By, so by, by this uh-huh. time last year, I had a manuscript complete. But what I didn't have was Julia Baird. And Julia Baird came about actually through Plastic EP, who, That's who right. works with Chachi on a regular basis. And so through COVID, I connected with Plastic, who turns out lives about half an hour away from me. But like, it was just this incredible thing where like, maybe if COVID hadn't happened, like, would I have ever intersected with Plastic EP and therefore with you, Chachi, yeah. and therefore with you, David? I mean, it it's a fascinating sort of point in history where things had to change and i'm i'm very grateful to have met you guys and to have connected in that way and certainly the book for having julia in it is certainly you know a much more oh, well, how would I put it? well it does elevate the book well absolutely absolutely yeah. i i really after that conversation i went okay like i've got all these wonderful characters but julia legitimizes everything she's the big tentpole in this whole thing yes but you know and you're right about covid we've met a lot of people during this period of sheltering in place and lockdowns and so on and two other people that i've met that i'm so grateful that you know i would never have met plastic ep but two people that are in your book who i've become friends with during covid are really fascinating people you got ivor davis a english journalist who lived in america in the early 60s and was assigned to go with the Beatles on their 64 tour. He was in the room when they met Elvis. So Ivor Davis is in the book. And then something as simple as a hairstylist, Leslie Cavendish, who cut the Beatles hair from 1966 to like the early 70s. We all got to know Leslie and Ivor, and they are both in your book. And those are two great people. So tell us about Ivor and Leslie. Absolutely. Well, actually, now you mention it. Yeah, those guys I've met through plastic as well. Yeah. So it, it was it, it was fascinating to to chat with those guys. And I've when I spoke with Ivor, he was also, I mean, in the courtroom covering the Manson family trials and all these kinds of things. So I, I read his book on that too, as well as his Beatles book, which is The Beatles and Me on Tour by Ivor Davis. Go, go check that out, everybody, too, because it, it's wonderful. It, in fact, that paints a picture of the 64 tour like I've never seen before. It's very candid. And there's one moment with Ringo where I just went, that is hilarious. And I won't give it away, but oh my goodness. Anyway, memory is all his memory is there, you know, absolutely. It's amazing. He's sort of a Forrest Gump kind of a character. Yeah. In that he was there for that stuff and he covered the he, he was on the campaign trail with Robert Kennedy in, in the months before Kennedy was assassinated too, and then covered the Sirhan Sirhan trial as well. But getting back to his work with the Beatles, I mean, he, he later interviewed Paul McCartney again in the 70s and he remembered Ivor and they were, you know, reminiscing about those 
heady days on the road in 64 and things like getting stuck in a hurricane in Florida and having to shelter in, in a completely unprepared bungalow style resort area. And they went and just hung out in John's room and, and the TV was on and they were watching Fidel Castro give a speech because they're, you know, only what 90 miles from Cuba or something like that. Yeah. So they're picking up the Cuban television station. And after watching Fidel Castro give uh, a speech for a little while, John just jumped up and, and did this incredible impersonation of Fidel Castro, the marching around the room, barking orders and things like just little moments like that, that are like, they're almost kind of, and like they're anecdotal, but I love that stuff. That's the, that's what I live for is these little stories that paint a little bit more of that character for us. And, you know, with COVID, the professor and I had Ivor on, and he, he's going to get Ivo on his class, in his class as well. Fantastic. But, but he was great, right? Ivo was a fantastic yeah, character. Yeah, he, he was fantastic, uh, a great storyteller. But also, like you mentioned, Aiden, he seems to have been uh, everywhere at these great historical moments, you know, good, bad, and, and otherwise. So, yeah, he was he's fantastic, really. Well, listen, everybody, it's been a pleasure, Aiden, to talk to you. We love the book. It's called To Know John Lennon, An Intimate Portrait from His Friends, Colleagues, and Family. You can get it on Amazon. Where else, Aiden? You, you have a way for people to get autographed books, anything like that? Please let us know. Well, the the publisher's website is probably usually the quickest way we've found. That is politicalanimalpress.com. You can also get it through David Bedford's website, which is beatlesbookstore.com, which mm-hmm. is a fantastic resource for anyone looking into Beatles books. And yeah, it's around in where, where good books are sold. Yeah. Well, I mean, Professor, look at Aiden. I think the guy should be a movie star. He has a movie star look about him. He's in the film <laughs> business. He, he could be Jim Morrison. I mean, he has a very cool look about him. And it's interesting that during COVID, you we all become friends with Plastic EP, and you virtually live right down the street from him. So it certainly is a small world. Well, I'm just honored to be here with you two wonderful-looking gentlemen as well. It's, uh, I mean, it's, Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, Chachi, seeing photos of you next to Ringo Studd just the other day, you know, you scrub up all right yourself and there's Ringo looking a bit shabby next to you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. But, you know, it is 7 a.m. where Aiden is and I can't do anything before 10 a.m. You know, the professor will email me sometimes. I'm available at 8 a.m. to do a podcast and I'm like. I'm not available at 8 a.m. <laughs> Josh, so, I, I bet if Aiden opened his window, we'd be able to hear plastic. It's only half hour away. Yeah, he, he certainly has his own presence. He commands Australia. Yeah, he is a character. And Aiden, it's been a pleasure to have you here. And it's really an honor to be to call you a friend. Have you ever been to the States before? You've been to America, no? Yeah, yeah, several times. I've shot two documentaries in, in the States and just... I mean, because there's so many stories there. Mm-hmm. It's the, the whole the country of the United States is packed full of stories. You can't like I don't think anybody's going to argue with you about that. And and yeah. the, the, for me, the pleasure is going there and you know teasing them out and and flipping some of the stories around and figuring out you know what what happened at certain points in time. Yeah, it's I mean it's fascinating. Do your kids realize who their dad is, or do they think you just sit around and come up with stories uh, they probably think i just sit around like telling them like <laughs> fibs but i mean I'll just quickly one thing that happened last year when i was doing the Jimi hendrix book jimmy's brother leon hendrix happened to call me at a bad moment because i had the kids with me so at the time there were two kids there's now three kids but so jimmy's brother calls 
and he's like, Hey, I'm ready to go for an interview. And I was like, great, let's go. And so like, and, and suddenly my daughter who, who was had just turned, she just turned two. She yells out, hi, Jimmy, really <laughs> thinking that, thinking that it's actually Jimi Hendrix on the phone. But, but that was cool. Cause like, so yeah, my kids got to chat to, to Jimi Hendrix's brother who happened to know, strangely enough, he, he knew more about the Beatles than I, uh, sorry. He knew more about the Wiggles. That was, well, he must kids have kids like, too then maybe. Uh, I think he does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other fab four. That's the other fab four right oh, <laughs> most certainly so professor before we say goodbye to aiden and wrap up uh, this episode of get back to the beatles any final words just that we uh, thanks for uh, gracing us with your presence and looking forward to your writing on stanley kubrick so thank you yeah guys it's been a, 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 an honor an absolute honor to be here with you today and on one of my all-time favorite podcasts because who could <laughs> who, who who better to be telling the story of the Beatles. And David, I do hope after reading my book, I hope that you would consider that I would pass your class. You passed the audition. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Professor, this, this whole day and age now, you could have guests on your in your class so easily by, you know, zooming them in. Yes, I could. Yes, I could. So uh, maybe we'll look into that. Good. Okay, everybody, you've been listening to Get Back to the Beatles. My name is Chachi LaPrette. I host New England's Breakfast with the Beatles in Massachusetts, Maine, and New Hampshire on the weekends, Saturday and Sundays, respectively. And I'm here with Professor David Galan, who's been Beatles professor. David Galan has been teaching the Beatles course at the famed Suffolk University in Boston, Massachusetts for, geez, 15 years or so. And of course, we're here with Aidan Pruitt, the author of To Know John Lennon, an intimate portrait from his friends, colleagues, and family. Love the photograph of John on the cover. I've never really seen that before. So that was a good score for you too, right, Aidan? Oh, absolutely. Mark Nabyshek hunted that down. It's in his private collection. So huge thanks book. to Mark. Yeah. So I thoroughly Thank you so much, gentlemen. What, I, what, what I thoroughly thrill. recommend the book for if you're a Beatle fan or there's a Beatle fan in your life. Make sure you grab a copy of To Know John Lennon at politicalanimalpress.com. I think I got that correct. Absolutely. It's early on Saturday. You may go back to bed. And I apologize (laughs) to the family. And thank you for joining us all the way from Australia. Thank you so much, guys. And to the two Daves. Cheers. That's right. Thanks, Aiden. See you soon. Fantastic, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, Professor Gallant, that was fun. We love Aiden Pruitt. What a great book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And that was a great episode. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, it was fantastic, Chachi. Okay, everybody. David Yaz, a spiritual leader. How was everything for you with the Boston Podcast Network? We just did your past tens the other day, which was yes. a lot of fun. Crossover podcast. The the Harlem Globetrotters meet Gil- meets Gilligan's Island, right? We had the get back the, the get back to the Beatles guys on past tens. That episode's already posted, and so you guys should check it out. It, it was two hours of pure bliss of breaking down the top ten on that fateful day back in '64. Loved it. Thank you guys for doing that. Well, I'm reading the analytics, and so far that has been your most uh, listened to podcast in the history of the Boston Podcast Network. Yeah, you have the chart upside down, I think. Okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? The main flaw and drawback of that episode, of course, was uh, my lack of a professional-grade quality microphone. So i got to track one of those down, so I'm uh, this ambient noise has to be edited out. I'll, yeah, I know a guy. I'll get you a mic, Professor. Fantastic. Listen, I got a, you know, Stephanie, my lovely wife, got 
found two great microphones on Amazon, less than $100 a piece. You get the boom and everything. $89 or so, you get the nice yeah. microphone package. And it's, according to David Yez, I've never sounded so good. Well, yes, which is, which is <laughs> quite a challenge. But yes, you sound great. <laughs> okay, gentlemen, we'll see you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, Get Back to the Beatles is available wherever you hear your favorite podcast at the Boston Podcast Network pod 617.com. If you would like to have your own podcast, Professor, you might want this. If you want to have your own podcast, reach out to David Yaz at the Boston Podcast Network and he can help you do that. So Perfect shots. Check us in the mail. There you go. Always trying to sell, you know, Professor. Always trying to always sell. Always be David, yes. <laughs> Got to sell. That's right. We'll see you all next time on Get Back to the Beatles, brought to you by Subaru of New England. Have a great day, everybody. We're back real soon for another great episode of Get Back to the Beatles. Bye bye. Make sure to check for the latest episode of Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette at pod617.com. The Boston Podcast Network.